May we bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank Thee for the privilege of being in God's house this morning. We thank Thee for the Word of God that is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We're grateful for all that has gone in to make this a great worship hour as we have praised Thee and heard testimonies to the greatness of God and have heard the magnification of Thy name in song and solos and quartets and choir. And now may the Word of God do its work as the Holy Spirit anoints it to speak to every heart. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'm reading from John, the sixth chapter, beginning in verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me, and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Now I pray that this scripture passage will be the basis for the beginning of a new spiritual stirring in all of our hearts. William B. Sprague said, whenever you see religion rising up from a state of comparative depression to a tone of increased vigor and strength, wherever you see professing Christians becoming more faithful to their obligations and behold the strength of the church increased by fresh accessions of piety from the world, this is revival. Charles Finney said, Revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God, just as in the case of a converted sinner. The first step is a deep repentance, a breaking down into the dust before God with deep humility and a forsaking of sin. G.J. Morgan said, Revival is reviving humanity, strictly speaking, to the sense of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to reanimate the life of the believer. And Arthur Wallace, in his book, In the Day of His Power, said, revival is a divine intervention in the normal course of the course of things. It is such a manifest working of God that human personalities are overshadowed and human ambitions are abandoned. Stephen Alford said, Revival is that strange and sovereign work of God in which he visits his own people, reanimating and releasing them into the fullness of his blessing in the Holy Spirit. Billy Graham said, Revival is falling in love with Jesus all over again. And that's what we need. We need revival. Whether you define it the way these men have defined it, or whether you simply say, I want to fall in love with Jesus all over again. Wasn't it a blessing to hear these testimonies this morning? How God has dealt with these young people. 
And then last Sunday, uh, David told us that he was saved on the first day of the year from a life of drugs, a life of carelessness, and God just moved in on him, and he loves Jesus. I wish everyone could have heard the testimonies in both the services last Sunday. Arzon Parker told us about how God moved in on him as a Christian a year ago, and there came a recommitment, a reevaluation, a renewal of his life in Christ. Now that's what revival is. Revival is when God moves in, either bringing us to himself from the world, or bringing us closer to himself from a worldly life. And it is our prayer that in the middle of the winter, the last of January, God will do something in our hearts that only he can do. This will be a time of falling in love with Jesus all over again. And do you know sometimes that happens without notice? We're not aware it's going to happen. I remember in the, in the years gone by in our church, one springtime, our young people began to meet and just pray for spiritual awakening, prayed for each other, prayed for other young people, prayed for our church. And we had a revival meeting scheduled and the evangelist came, and the first night or two, it didn't seem like there was much spark. But God had heard prayer. And before that week was over, God had moved in on scores of lives. And on one night, we had five football men from Bowling Green High in the baptistry at the same time. God changed lives. Now God is in the life-changing business, but he does it one by one. I suppose you might say there is no such thing as mass evangelism. There is such a thing as mass preaching, where you get masses together and the man of God preaches, where you get God's people together and something happens when large crowds gather that's the reason it is important for believers to come to the services and be there Sunday morning, Sunday night, and in this week, Monday and Tuesday nights and Wednesday, <clears throat> and just be here. The collective power of God's people does some spiritual electric work in a service. When there are lots of folks who gather together believing Jesus, asking him for something, singing his praises, testifying to his goodness. There's just a spiritual overflow. And the unbeliever that comes in can't escape the convicting power of the Word of God. And yet, personal work is done one-on-one. -on -one. And we want to go back to what Jesus said. In verse 37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. There are three things this text implies. Number one, it implies a drawing. 
Look in verse 44, John 6, 44. No man can come to me except the Father who hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Look at verse 65 of that same passage. Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. There's a divine intervention in lives that draws them to Christ. In Matthew chapter 16, <clears throat> Jesus was asking his disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Some said, well, you're John the Baptist, or you're Elijah, or you're one of the prophets. And Jesus said, but who do you say I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Lord said to Peter, blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood did not reveal this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. In other words, you didn't just dream this up. You didn't get this because you're so sharp. You didn't get this because you read it in a book. You understood this because of a divine intervention in your life from outside. My Father which is in heaven hath revealed this unto you. And I want to submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, the only way a sinner can come to Christ is for the intervention of the Holy Spirit to move into the heart, bringing the message of the Word, touching that heart, and drawing him to Christ. That's the way every one of us was saved. And the lost that are here today, that are out in the city of Bowling Green, that's the way they'll get saved. They're not going to get saved because they're so sharp or so smart. They're not going to get saved from sin and on their way to heaven because they deserve it. But because someone has sown the seed of the Word of God in their lives, and the Holy Spirit has nurtured that, and my Father in heaven has revealed to that heart, Jesus Christ is Lord. And they have believed upon Christ. There are always human instruments. And God wants us to be that human instrument. This is often apparent as the Lord speaks. Men are God's methods. For example, John the Baptist was preaching in the jungle. There were a number of people who heard him. Among those was a man named Andrew and a man named John. And when the, John the Baptist turned and said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, God revealed this to Andrew and John just like that, and they began to follow Jesus. Now why did they follow Jesus? because of John the Baptist's testimony. John the Baptist brought them to Jesus. In John chapter 1, we read that Andrew, as soon as he, as he had come to Jesus, he went out and found his brother Peter and brought Peter to Jesus. He said, Peter, is this not, this not the man told us everything? And this is the Messiah. And Simon Peter came. Jesus found Philip. Philip found Nathanael. Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> he had doubts. 
And all Philip said was, come and see. He was not an attorney that argued and pled and pleaded and so on. He just said, hey, Philip, uh, hey, Nathaniel, I found someone that satisfied my spiritual need. I found someone that met every need I had, and I want you to come. And Nathaniel was skeptic. He said, well, I don't know whether I'm interested or not. And all Philip said was, come and see. That's what you and I need to do. Go out and find folks that don't know the Lord. They're not going to get to Jesus on their own. There's not one record in the, in the New Testament of anybody that came to Jesus on his own. God uses human instruments to bring people, to draw people by the drawing power of God. Honey, you sit down. Someone help that little girl back there. Yeah, just sit down. Okay, we'll just wait you come and sit down. Don't anybody get up and walk around while we're preaching. God bless you, honey. Now, some adult needs to help us right in there. All right. I love you, but don't do that anymore, honey. God bless you. Now go on. Jesus needs someone to go and bring folks. They don't come. We must go after them. Human intervention. Jesus talked to Nicodemus and brought him to the Lord. Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman. Samaritan woman went out and found the men with whom she had sinned and brought them to the Lord. Phyllis Sokol, a Jewish lady, asked me a pointed question on a train. In those days they called me Pete. She said, Pete, are you a Christian? And I had to say no. And she wrote a letter to a preacher in Louisville, and the preacher came to see me and talked to me about Jesus. You see, God uses human instruments. And that's revival. When you and I get enough compassion, enough concern, and enough love to reach out beyond our timidity. Some have said, well, you know, that's just not natural for me to go and talk to other people about their soul. That's a personal matter. Certainly it is not natural for you. Nobody ever even suggested it would be natural for you. It's supernatural. And it is only when we're filled with God's Holy Spirit that we can break the bonds of that timidity and practicality and go outside of ourselves and tell somebody what Jesus has done in our life. And when we do that, God draws others to himself. Now turn in your Bible to John chapter 16. And notice how the Holy Spirit does this. In John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. 
But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit does the work. We don't do it. The Holy Spirit is always the one that draws people to God. When we're filled with ourselves, we're not going to draw people to God. When we're filled with things, we're not going to draw people to God. When we're filled with the worries and anxieties and cares of this world, we're not going to draw people to God. And that's one reason the Lord said, don't worry about what you're going to wear or where you're going to live or what you're going to eat. Don't worry about all those things. He said, the birds are taken care of. The lilies of the field, they don't toil or spin. God takes care of them. Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Don't be so concerned about all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus was not saying, don't get a job and work. He didn't mean that. He was not saying, loaf around and see if you can bum something off somebody else. That wasn't what the Lord was saying. He just said, don't be so fretful. Don't be so anxious. Don't be tossed and to and fro about with the worries and the cares of this life. <laughs> he said, just trust me, I'll take care of all that. Seek first the kingdom of God. And when we're seeking first the kingdom of God, we're seeking God's Holy Spirit. And when we're seeking His Holy Spirit, He fills us without our even knowing it. The fullness of the Holy Spirit is not evidenced by some kind of special speaking in tongues or even jumping up and down or shouting or, or saying amen real big. There's nothing wrong with those things. But those are not the evidences of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Holy Spirit is evidenced by that concern in our lives that reaches out to lost people and says, I found Jesus, and I'd like for you to find him too. You say, preacher, how do you know that? Well, Acts 1.8 says, And when the Holy Spirit has come, ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. That's the business of the Holy Spirit. And he points people to Jesus. It takes a depth of understanding that is more than divine before a person can really know he is lost. We can't argue folks into the kingdom of God. We can't even persuade them into the kingdom of God. We can go and tell them what Jesus has done for us. And we can point to the scriptures that tell us what Jesus can do for anybody. And then that person has to come to God himself. We had a funeral the other day. A large number of people at that funeral. The place was packed at the close of the service. I told the folks how to, how to be saved, how to give their hearts to Jesus. I often do that. And at the close of the service, we prayed. And then I asked if there was anyone there who would like to give his heart to Jesus right there. 
Eight people lifted their hands. I didn't give a public invitation for them to come forward. Out of the cemetery, I spoke to a young man, maybe 20, 25 years old, about Jesus. I said, are you a Christian? Well, he said, yes, I am. I said, well, praise the Lord. When did you get saved? He said, about 20 minutes ago, over there at the service. Didn't you see my hand? He meant business. I talked to another man in his home, and he said, yes, I gave my heart to Christ that day. Now, what I'm trying to say is we don't persuade people to come to Christ. We ask God's Holy Spirit to fill us, and then we just go tell people what Christ has done for us and what he can do for them from the Scriptures, and the Holy Spirit does the work. He is the convictor. He is the persuader. And revival comes when God's people are filled with his spirit and love him and put him first and just get re-indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. And then God uses us. Isn't that beautiful? Has God been using us? Let's each examine his own heart. else. Look at that verse again. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. All that the Father giveth me implies the drawing of the Holy Spirit. You cannot come to Christ without the Holy Spirit drawing you. But the second part of this text says, shall come to me. Now you'll never get to God until you come to him. The invitation is all the way through the scripture to come. Listen to this. In Genesis 7, 1. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come, thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Look in Numbers chapter 10, verse 29. And Moses said to Hobab, the son of Raguel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, We are journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come thou with us, and we will do thee good, for the Lord hath spoken good concerning Israel. Look in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Look in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come to the waters. And he that hath no money, come, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In Luke chapter 14, And sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And just as if the Lord were afraid somebody would misunderstand and would not understand that 1,900 times throughout the Bible, the invitation is come, come, come on the very last page of the Bible. In Revelation 22:17, listen to this. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. 
And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Oh, come, come. I like that song that uh, folks used to sing years ago, the little brown church in the wildwood. Oh, come, 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 come. And then the men go on singing, come, 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 come. Because you see, that's the meaning of the Bible. One of the most impressive words in all the Word of God is the word C-O-M-E. And Jesus said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. You'll never get to God till you come. And the invitation is to come, come, come. And all day long, God holds his hand out saying, come, come, come. Now remember that God does not command lost souls to go to church. But he commands us, those who are saved, to go into the highways and hedges, wherever we can find people, and say to them, my master sent me to urge you to come. He does not speak directly to lost souls saying, I'm commanding you to come. He says that through his people. Come, come, come. And what a wonderful invitation it is to tell folks to come. Now, what does it mean to come? The response has to do with the will. The response is deep within the will, and the will affects the emotions and the mind and the heart. All three are involved in coming to Christ. The emotions, the mind, and the heart. And not until all three combine can we come to Christ. Now, some people come just with their emotions. A lady came in our church a number of years ago. She came down here and knelt right at the front aisle the, a bench, and she prayed a little while. One of our soul winning partners was leading, helping her to get to Christ, and all of a sudden she got up shouting. It was a joy time, and she just shouted. Some people wondered what was happening. They're not used to it. I like shouting once in a while. That's real. But, but you know what? I'm not being judgmental. That lady went out and never came back. Went to visit her, couldn't interest her. She came emotionally. Now, if that's all you come with, that's not enough. You can't come just with tears, nor just with laughter, nor just with the emotions of shouting. Nothing wrong with that, but there's more to it than that. The coming must be with the emotions, and there is some emotion to coming. There's some tears sometimes, there's some joy sometimes, there's some laughter sometimes. Depending on our emotional makeup, everybody doesn't come the same way. The day we baptized Lucy Kennedy, she splashed around in the water and shouted and praised God, and I thank God for that glory day we had that day. But I've baptized lots of folks that didn't do that. And they keep on going on with God. I'm saying to you, in order to come, we must come with our emotions, but we must come with something else, with our mind. God does not divorce the spirit from the mind. 
There are certain facts we must believe in order to be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Well, what do we believe and what do we confess? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Those are the facts of salvation. And when we take hold of those facts and apply them to our heart and mind, and then with our emotions, we link those facts to our life, then there's one more step. We must do it with all of our heart. It is possible to come to Christ with our emotions and our mind. And that's it. That's all. And I would say that's one of the reasons for the pitiable wrecks, spiritual wrecks and dropouts along the road. Folks who get going for a while and then they quit on God. They have only come with their emotions. They've only come with their mental assent. But they never gave their heart and invited Christ to come and live inside of them. Oh, beloved friend, we are not saved by following Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I won't turn back. I like that song, but it's a song of commitment for Christians. It is not an invitation to the lost. Lost souls have to receive Christ. To as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. We're not saved by saying, well, there's Jesus out there. I think I'll follow him for a while. If we do it that way, we can quit following him and we'll be lost. That's the reason lots of folks preach that you can be saved today and lost tomorrow. I want to say to you, if you come to Christ with your heart, the emotions and the mind being involved, but you come and say, Christ, come inside of my heart and live in me. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you all the rest of your life, and I'll be at the depot of death and take you safely across and take you into the kingdom of God. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and last of all, he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. That shouting territory. Listen, when you come to Jesus with your mind and your heart and your emotions, and you receive Christ into your heart, you have his eternal promise. His promise. He said, I will never cast you out. Now, he said that in the presence of some Pharisees and Sadducees who had cast out of the synagogue a man that Jesus had healed. He said, you come to me and I'll never cast you out. Now that didn't mean the church can't discipline. See, because you're not saved by joining a church. Church has responsibilities to discipline. Paul said to the Corinthian Christians, turn that man over to the devil. Put him out for a little while that his soul might be saved. So he could really tell whether he's saved or lost. That has nothing to do with saying the church could, should not discipline. But it is to say, if you have received Christ, if the Lord Christ has come to live in your heart, he made you a promise. It wasn't just a promise to the preacher. It wasn't just a promise to the deacons or the choir. It was a promise to every lost soul who comes and claims Christ as Savior. Jesus whispers, I will never cast you out. 
But Lord, I may fail you. I'll never cast you out. Lord, suppose I sin. I'll never cast you out. I'll discipline you. I'll deal with you. I may have to whip you a little bit, but I'll never cast you out. And the question is, have you come to Christ? Have you come? If you haven't, will you do it now? Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Our eyes closed, our heads bowed just for a moment. Come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. He will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. Have you come to Christ? And if you've already come, are you serving him? Do you need to come back to him and say, Lord, I need to start life over, spiritual life over. I need to get going for God again. Would you do it? Our Father, we thank Thee that the Lord is in this place. We pray that the Holy Spirit of God will speak to every soul and some who have never been saved would come to Christ today. In Jesus' name, amen. May we stand, please. 252, please, turn in your book. 252. Come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord. He will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. If you'll come to Christ today, he'll forgive you and save you and cleanse you. Somebody here may need to come back to God. You've already been his, you've been saved, but you haven't been working for him, haven't been serving him. Maybe there's somebody here today who would say, well, preacher, I've been saved, but I have not obeyed Jesus in scriptural baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. But if you've received Christ, you need to walk with him and serve him and live with him. And the first act of obedience is baptism. You need to follow him in baptism. Do what God leads you to do. There may be someone here who needs to move your membership to this church. You do what God says. But friend, if you're not saved, if you're not positive Christ lives in your heart, I want to plead with you to come to Christ just as you are. He'll forgive and save and cleanse, and he'll give you that promise, I'll never leave you, and I'll never cast you out. While we sing, is there someone who will come? God help you to do it.